it's so much bigger than just the technology involved. But the thing about Wakanda for golf, and when we talk about Wakanda, we talk about Black Panther. Black Panther was such a hit for people of color because for the first time we were the hero. We never got to see heroes that looked like us. And so for Black Panther and for us to be in the forefront, that's what this academy is going to be like. They're going to see people that look like them practicing and grinding on their game. And that's just going to lead to more inspiration. The more that we get to see these young players out there, whether it's Harold Varner or Cameron Champ, now it becomes something that's cool. It becomes something that I think I can do because I see others over there being successful that look like me, that do the same things that I do, that come from the same neighborhoods I come from, that listen to the same music, that eat the same food, that was raised in the same type of households. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you'll hear about all the upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaways and see our reviews there also. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Andy Walker, who is the director of the United Golfers Association, or UGA, Academy and Player Development. Established almost 100 years ago in 1925, the UGA is still pushing to prepare young black golfers to achieve success on the many professional tours. The UGA Golf Academy is designed to prepare them mentally, physically, and professionally to compete as future tour players and golf professionals throughout the world. So with that introduction, Andy, thanks so much for joining me and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colin. I appreciate it, buddy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Andy, you and I have not had a chance to talk to each other yet, so I'm excited for this conversation. Love the work that the UGA has been doing. I've known with your colleague Ty, he introduced us and all the great things that you're doing there. So hey, there's so many ways I want this conversation to go, but let's focus it down here. Can you start by telling us more about what the UGA is doing and why you do it? Well, why I'm doing it to begin with is it's something that, that I owe the game, right? I think to whom much is given, much is required. And I've had a great career in this game from growing up as a junior player to having a great collegiate career, playing professionally for 13 years, being able to teach the best players in the world and now coach some of the best players in the world as well. There's kind of an unspoken uh, language that we need to cross through that to get our players to the next level. So there's been some uh, steps lost in this game as far as African-Americans are concerned. I think there's a lot of intro to the game programs out there. And then they're left at that. And so if you look at the success, if we just talk about tour players on tour of African-American descent in the last 15 to 20 years, really since Tiger's been out there, it's been players that have had a lot of resources and access to get to the next level. And so you don't see a lot of players that didn't play high-level D1 golf on tour. So if you think about the, the players that have been out there, myself, I played at Pepperdine, Tiger obviously at Stanford, Joseph Bramlett at Stanford, Harold Varner at East Carolina University, Cameron Champ at, at Texas A&M. There aren't people of color really from small schools that didn't have great access and resources. So it's been, I don't know if it's thrust upon me, but a, a great privilege of mine to be able to work with the players behind me and show them the ropes. There's been quite a few of us that have been inside the ropes, or I shouldn't say quite a few, there's been a few of us that have been inside the ropes. And so now it's time that we kind of lift those ropes up and help the others behind us. And we're gonna do that through training these players at a facility that will be a, a brick and mortar facility here in Florida. It's gonna be what I call Wakanda for golf and be the most sophisticated state-of-the-art practice facility in the world. 
resources that include biomechanics and short game area and everything to learn how to score and play this game at the highest level, mentally, physically, emotionally, but as well as introduce players and, and of African descent to the industry itself, because not all of them are going to play on tour. And so we want to make sure that we flood the industry with qualified professionals that go into the management side of the game or golf architecture, club design, agronomy, all the different aspects of the PGA and PGA Tour. Right. I love the way you phrase that there, creating the Wakanda for golf. I think we may have our episode title right there. It usually takes me about 30 minutes to figure that one out. If that's okay with you, I, th- I think we may have our catchphrase there already. It's a, it's a hook. I like it. I love it. <laughs> I like it. I do want to dig deeper into all the things you're creating with the UGA Academy, but I want to learn more about your personal backstory as far as what you experienced and even probably what you had to endure as, as a young black golfer. Could you tell us a bit about that? When did you first pick up a club? Let's talk there. Let's start at the very beginning. How were you welcomed to the game and how did that stick as compared to other sports that perhaps you were interested in at the time? Well, I grew up playing the game, you know, since I could really walk. So my dad introduced me. He was part of a group of African-American businessmen in Phoenix called Desert Mashi. They've been around for probably close to 100 years as well. And so um, I grew up playing my first tournament when I was five years old. I was hooked, won by like 19 shots or something and, and just felt like I was a stud, right? I go into show and tell with a, with a trophy bigger than me and a picture of me on the front page of the Arizona Republic, right? So you couldn't have told me I wasn't already a star at five, but I played every sport. And my brother and I, we played football and basketball and baseball, and but golf was something that I always really loved. At an early age, you don't know any different. You don't learn about race and color until it's really told to you. As I got a little bit older and I'm 13, 14, 15 years old and I'm one of the best players, not only in the state, but in the country, you see the questions were coming now. Pop, why didn't I get picked to be on that team when I won the scoring title and I won more tournaments than everybody? And so this is where my dad started talking to me about about race. And he started talking to me about privilege and he started talking to me about inequities, inequality, and all these things that go along with this. I remember fondly playing my first AJGA tournament in, in Houston and having to do a qualifier to get in. And so I, I think I shoot 69 or 70. I'm like 14 or 15 years old. I get in the qualifier. I'm waiting for my dad to come pick me up. And the members at that club come by and a guy literally handed me his clubs thinking I was a caddy. Right. And he walks by every other junior golfer and and comes to me. And I guess I'm supposed to be the caddy. Right. So that was one of the first times where not only you faced it blatantly, but I started to get a little bit pissed off about it. Right. And now now it's like, okay, this this isn't the first time it happened. But you know what? You know, I always tried to use that as motivation. I never use that as a discouragement or a reason to quit. It was always like, you know what? I'm going to take these clubs and beat your ass with them now. So and I don't know if you know if we're allowed to, to curse, but you know, I used it as encouragement to push forward with it. It motivated you. And that is racial bias or cultural bias. What you experienced there, it's more subtle. Well, subtle and not so subtle at the same time, I suppose, as compared to someone actually yelling a racial slur at you or some of the things I've read that Charlie Siffert and Lee Elder had to endure on tours, verbally abused on the golf course and even stories. You'll know the story, recall, I forget which pro golfer it was being taunted on the course and having it one hole as someone defecated in the cup and when he was picking his ball up and like like the stuff you can't even believe that happened. But that happened on tour for them, didn't it? 
Yeah, it, it actually happened about two miles from where I grew up. It was at Arizona Country Club. It, it happened to Charlie right. Sifford. And it was uh, during the Phoenix Open back then. And, and believe me, we, I, I had practice rounds where people were yelling white power and different stuff to us, playing and then having a guy, I remember at Long Beach Open one year, broke a branch in my backswing. There was times where I had, don't let the sun sit on your black ass as a note on my car when I'm at a tour event. You know, we weren't always reading the wind when we were looking in the trees. We were looking to see if someone was in there about ready to pop off on us. It was playing with different pressures. Not that everyone doesn't play with pressures in this game, but sometimes there's a little different pressure that goes along with really not trying to survive the golf course and and the conditions out there, but really trying to survive the round because you don't know if if there's going to be a nut out there that's just looking to take somebody out. And so there's been those, those instances where we played in some of the South that was a little scary. Right. Wow. So now I can really start to understand the motivation that you have to get next level with the young golfers that uh, you're taking under your wing and what that motivation is. So so let's expand upon that, Andy. Let's talk about what you are building, the Wakanda that you're building in Florida and what that will, will look like. I know I talked in the opening there that it will prepare them physically, emotionally, and intellectually for life and for the tour and give them tools to do that. So tell us a little more about the UGA Academy. There's going to really going to be about four different levels that we're going to be hands-on involved with, but there's five levels throughout. So the grassroots levels, we're going to support those programs, the, the Desert Mashie Junior Golf Association that I grew up in, the, some of the first tees, the Orlando Minority uh, Golf Organization in Orlando by, by Dr. Dorsey, Hollywood Golf with, with Selena, those type of programs, we're going to support them financially. We're going to support them with resources and access to facilities. We're going to support them with training the trainers and making sure that they're introducing this game at a high level to these young players. And we're going to give them all the support they need. Level two is where we become hands-on. So this is going to be your intro to tournament golf, right? And we're going to make sure that we give these kids a warm welcome and they're welcomed and they feel welcomed into a game that's kind of always been exclusionary. Right. So we're going to give a real inclusive welcome to these players, a warm welcome. We're not going to throw them in the deep end without floaties. Right. We're going to help them along, show them the rules of the game, the etiquette of the game, what level they should be playing on based on their level of play, their age, and really kind of give them a soft, warm welcome into competitive golf. Level three, this is going to be one of our biggest pools These are the kids that are already out there playing. These are going to be from your 10 and 11 to 17-year-olds. There's tons of these players out there. This is going to be kind of your live-in academy. And the kids will be going to school from like 8 to noon every day. And then from 1 to dark, they're going to be grinding on their games. And so they're going to be working not only on the mechanics of the game, how to score, how to hit different golf shots, the biomechanics. They're going to start going into nutrition and fitness. Obviously, the mental side of the game, which when you get to that level, the game becomes 95% mental and 5% mental. So it's all mental, really, at that stage. When you get pretty good, you get into competitive golf, right? <laughs> you and should so, know. Yeah. And then from there, the elite players will become kind of our junior national team, our UGA junior national team, as long as well as the, the top amateurs and collegiate players in the country will be our, our UGA amateur national team. So these are the players that we're going to be taking not only domestically, but internationally and playing some of the the best tournaments in the world and making sure that they have wagger rankings and these players are exposed to the highest level of golf that there is. So they're ready. And then our final stage will be our tour players, which I'm working with quite a bit of them already. 
One young man, Kamayu Johnson, that's had a lot of press here lately. He was supposed to play in the Farmers and caught COVID when we were down there getting ready for that event. But he played yeah, in Pebble. Yeah. And then some of the women as well that are playing on the Symmetra and LPGA Tour. Blessed to work with them as well. So just really supporting these players, whether they need financial support, whether they need instruction, whether they need mentoring, whether they need guidance, whether they need mental or emotional support, whatever it is, we're going to be that fulfillment house, representation or management, club deals, equipment, clothing, apparel, whatever it is they need to get to that next level and where golf is their main focus and are not worried about how they're going to pay their car note or their house note. And if they can play the next tournament, we're going to allow them the resources to play where they need to play, not where they have to play. Got it. I was going to ask you if you had young women involved too, but you mentioned Symmetra Tour and LPGA. So it sounds like all five levels here that you are looking both men and women, boys and girls to get them involved. So are you looking at that eventually at that like a 50-50 split or where where are you right now with the different levels? Right now with the players I'm working with, it is pretty close to to 50-50 split, but I'm not really looking at it in numbers. Like I have to have this many guys. I have to have this many women. I'm looking at the best players, period. Wherever the best players are, we have some unbelievably talented women that are playing on the LPGA and on the Symmetra Tour right now. We have some extremely talented young men that are playing different tours around the world as well. So my thing is to support whoever needs that support and wants that support, whoever trusts me to be involved in their their careers. I feel like at this point in this age, I'm kind of like the the bigger brother to everybody right now, or, or, you know, not quite the uncle stage yet, definitely not the grandpa yet, kind of the bigger brother that (laughs) they understand and they know that I've been there at different levels. I've been there, obviously, as a player and coach and instructor and, and different levels. So I'm pretty blessed that they trust me. Oh, I love this. So just looking at what you have on your website here. So the five different levels, I guess it's at the P3, that junior players program you mentioned that they will be at the academy, living at the academy, starting starting there? That's right. Yeah. Is so, that correct? so that's going to, yeah, that after we have the brick and mortar academy, that's where they're going to start staying there full time. So they'll be going to school there, living there, kind of like your IMG style academy, really along the lines of right. what the Australian Institute of Sports has done, how they've done with the Korean national teams, why they're building these great programs up where you're at in Canada. The Canadian national team and junior national team, there are some great players. And they do things really intently. And I think that's a very strong word to use is the intent behind it. And so they give the support to these players where it's needed. Right. And it's almost like they don't let them fail. They're going to give them all support and everything they can, pick the right players and, and make sure that they make it at some level. Give them the best chances of success. So how do you onboard at that junior players program? I know you've, you've got them through the funnel, through the grassroots junior golf and the junior tournament prep. And I'm assuming you're looking at all over the country here. You're just looking for the best players in the 50 states, right? As far as you're not okay. just focused on the Southeast or Florida even. It could be wherever you are. As long as you're at that best level, best chance for success, you bring them in. So how do you reach out? How do you raise awareness with the UGA across the country? What are those best ways for you? Besides, of course, the, the incredible reach that the Mod Golf Podcast has, so everybody in the world will know about it now, of course. But right. uh, how, how do you get the word out for the UGA and the Academy? Well, obviously, being on a podcast like this is, is great for us. We're going to be doing a lot of marketing, a lot of social media. Colin, I'm getting old, man. I'm, I'm 45. 
I've been around this game. It's like, I feel like I know every black person that's held a golf club in this country. And so the reach that I have and some of my colleagues have extends out. And there's a lot of junior golf organizations and, and a lot of black golf organizations and associations around the country that luckily I've been associated with or grew up playing in or have supported in one form or fashion during my career, or they've supported me during my career. There's a lot that are already reaching out. We keep a tab on on the players that are playing around the country just to see where they're at. There's a real network of African-Americans in this game, especially right now with the whole social awakening and social awareness of what's been going on since late spring last year. So I, I think the group is being more concentrated. I think the people inside of there have communicated a lot more. With social media, it's easy to get a hold of these players. Plus, on top of being a college coach, I better know where all the good players are at, right? So if I don't, I'm losing out. You're not doing your job. You're not, not getting it done. So I'm assuming for the academy then, this would be pre-college students. I'm assuming they would all be up to high school age or would you even have some perhaps that would be at that college age? So what, what are you looking at there for the academy? Yeah, the academy is mostly going to be in that in that high school, just kind of maybe junior high to, to high school age. But the college players, we're going to work with them as well. And obviously, that'll be more during the summers and their breaks and holidays because they're going to be playing for their respective colleges and universities at the time. But it's really going to be for anyone, anyone who wants to come and, and get some work, have a place that they call home, a place that is not only warm and, and welcoming and accepting, it's going to be one of the best facilities in the world, if not the best facility in the world to get better. And they're going to be surrounded, which means so much with people that look like them, right? So when we talk about Wakanda for golf, that is, it's so much bigger than just the technology involved, right? There's going to be obviously the most state-of-the-art technology in the world. But the thing about Wakanda for golf, and when we, we talk about Wakanda, we talk about Black Panther. Black Panther was such a hit for people of color because for the first time, we were the hero, right? We never got to see heroes and we never got to see those people that looked like us, right? We were always kind of like the sidekick. And so for Black Panther and that stuff, for us to be in the forefront that's what this academy is going to be like. They're going to see people that look like them practicing and grinding on their game. And that's just going to lead to more inspiration. And I think that's why we didn't get to see the real Tiger Renaissance happen after he played. Everyone thought that 10, 15 years, there were going to be a flood of, of players out on tour. And it just didn't happen. Tiger, obviously the best player ever. Mm-hmm. He probably did more for this game than anyone ever, maybe than Arnold Palmer. But I'd give Tiger the lead in that. But he didn't have quite the effect on African-American culture because he wasn't super tangible. And so the more that we get to see these young players out there, whether it's Harold Varner or Cameron Champ or Willie Mack or Kamayu or Mariah Stackhouse or Cheyenne Woods and Shasta Avery Hart and Sierra Sims and all these players out there, now it becomes something that that's cool. Right. It becomes something that I want to do. It becomes something that I think I can do because I see others over there being successful that look like me, that do the same things that I do, that come from the same neighborhoods I come from, that listen to the same music, that eat the same food, that was raised in the same type of households. Yeah. I know with Sandy Cross with the PGA, I've heard her talk many times I've had her on the podcast and she says she probably didn't invent this one, but puts this out there in order to be one, you've got to see one, right? And have that confidence. Right. And as you just touched on all the points, that makes it naturally welcoming. You just feel invited because you, it's relatable, right? And the people, whether it's Harold Barner or some of the other pro golfers and coming up that you mentioned there, they are relatable more culturally relatable than even just the golf game, which you need. So, hey, I, I saw this on your website, which sounds more like a call to action than anything else. I'm just 
going to read this and I want you to respond. So you're saying like, what is at stake? If the UGA does not grab the baton and run with it now, we possibly can see another 60 years to go by with minimum growth in the sport of golf for black athletes. So can you expand on that? So it sounds like you're really sending the alarm out there that if you remain complacent and don't put in place what you're putting and really push and create the Wakanda, that it's going to be same old, same old for the next many decades. When that was put on the website and Ty really came up with that tagline, he was right. We've been having these talks, but they've just been talks. And we've been really good at saying what needs to happen. Now it's just time to make it happen. It isn't that we haven't had good black players before Tiger, but there was a lapse. And so what happened was with the end of the Caucasian-only clause on the PGA and PGA Tour, then the UGA was put aside, much like the Negro Leagues. Once we let some in, you don't need to have your organization anymore, right? Well, the UGA was so much bigger than just the tour at that time. Just the Black Tour, it was the support system for these players. They practiced together. They had their own kind of mini Wakanda, right? Minus all the technologies, but they practiced together. They traveled together together. They had their support system financially, emotionally, mentally. They were grooming each other. They had a developmental tour that got them ready for the main tour when it was time to go over there. So the UGA played a huge role in that. And then when the UGA kind of died down there in the you know early 70s until last year, that support system went away. So we don't want to be here talking 20, 30 years ago about what are we going to do to help change the complexion of this game? Everyone says that we want golf to look like America. Well, it doesn't right now. It doesn't look like America where I came from. It may look like some places, but it didn't look like the neighborhoods that, that I live in. And so is it starting to change a little bit? Of course it is, but there's a long way to go. So to stay complacent and pat our backs on what's been done, I think would be not only selfish, it'd be wrong at this time. It's a place where this isn't going to be just a black solution because it's not just a black problem right? It's a problem for all of golf. And I think as there become more Asians in the sport, more Hispanics in the sport, more Blacks in the sport, you know, more everyone, the game is better because of that. And so it's going to take everybody. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a kid. And I don't believe so. I believe it takes a lot of villages to raise a, a professional golfer or a golf professional in this instance. We're going to be looking for the help. And just like I said, we can't wait for someone else to do it. And fortunately, call it what you want, fate or whatever. This is a game that I've happened to live my whole life through. And I tell everybody golf owes me nothing, but it's given me everything. And so inside of that, I owe the game back and I owe players that look like me that don't have the resources that I did have. I had some people that mentored me. Obviously, my parents did an unbelievable job and never be able to thank them enough for what they did. But also I had sponsors and the Goldston family in Atlanta that sponsored me when I turned professional. And Jeff Dunavant, who took me under his wing when I was 13, 14 years old and groomed my game and still talk once or twice a day, every single day. So having those relationships, you know, when we've all had a support system, it's like when people say, you know, they're a self-made millionaire. I I don't buy that. Someone believed in you. Someone bought your product. Someone gave you the loan, right? So it takes a lot of villages. Yeah. And I work with a lot of our entrepreneurs, not just in startups, not just in the golf industry or even sports technology across all sectors. And one thing we always say entrepreneurs, because they think it's it's all on them. The heroic, overly romantic type of vision of the entrepreneur, and the same with a professional golfer, especially in sports where you're playing by yourself, whether it's tennis or golf, but it takes that entire entourage over decades 
So one of the sayings that is out there in entrepreneurship that if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you have to go together. And it may sound like a cliche, but it's true in pretty much every aspect of life in society. And you need to have people that believe in you and you've got to give back. And it sounds like, well, I know, I can see that you are giving back so much here, Andy, and it's it's commendable. It's a, it's impressive, and the game and society is better for it. And I think you're just getting started there. You say you're 46, you're getting old. Hey, I, you got 10 years on me. I've I've got lots of energy too. You've got lots of energy, and I think hey, you're just getting started there. Hold on, you're doing. I'm 45. 45. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I already ate. See, well, I thought oh, this episode had happen. gone on so long. I thought maybe you'd already you had your birthday there, maybe. But oh, sorry, didn't mean. To. I, <laughs> I take that back. Months. All right. Jeez, you sound like my wife when I accidentally age her by a year there. I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. So, hey, one thing you touched on right at the top of the show was about, yes, you are developing through the academy. The goal is the final is elite level professional players around the world, both men and women, but also that fifth level of your path to the tour. You're talking about professional staff. That golf is a $90 billion industry in the US alone. In Canada, it's over a $15 billion a year industry up here. So globally, it's I would say it's close to $150 billion. So massive opportunity in the game, not only as a professional, but also as a vendor and a supplier. And I know PGA Works is working very hard. I had Charles Dillahunt, hopefully you know Charles, had him on the show a yeah. couple of months ago. And the work that they're starting to do now and really ramping up that they've laid the foundation over the last couple of years. Sounds like all these pieces are coming together and really ready to pour some gas on the fire here and really get this baby going. And you're just one of the awesome pieces or awesome bricks in that wall that's being built here. So what other partnerships are, are you aligned with, obviously with the PGA? I'd, I'd love to hear that as far as other groups and, uh, and organizations that are helping propel you forward. Right. We, we just did a great partnership with Youth On Course. Had them on. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. I know Adam. Adam Hike. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's going to be great because that starts to help our stage twos and threes, right, with access to facilities to play at an affordable rate. This isn't a cheap game to play. And, you know, to play well at this game, you've got to be able to play a lot. Pounding balls on the range is, is fine and all, but I haven't shot too many 65s on the range. So we got to make sure that we're out there playing and, and getting the experience out there and, and experiences all the different conditions that, that golf's going to give you in every shot and lie and win and stance and pin position and playing partners and every different thing. We're really far right now in our talks with the PGA and doing some stuff with them as well. They're doing, obviously, just like you talked about with, with Charles and Seth Waugh and, and Lynette and Scooter and everyone over there are, are doing great to really move that ball forward. I really want to tie something down with them that goes into creating the golf professionals. The numbers there just don't lie. It's like in golf. It is what it is, right? Would you shoot? 69, okay? You played well. You can't tell me, coach, I hit it well, but I shot 76. Well, then don't hit it well anymore. Because the bottom line, you shot 76, so there's something's not working, right? But in the you know the golf industry, you've got close to 30,000 PGA members. We have like 130 black members. That is less than a half of a percent. That doesn't sit right with me, right? That shouldn't sit right with anybody. That doesn't really make sense at this point. So to increase those numbers, the USGA been working really tight with them for the past four or five months on trying to launch a really big program with them that's going to help really the game because they're all about growing the game. They don't care about for who. They're not picking, we just want to grow the game within this culture. Obviously, they like to see some more diversity. And so we're going to help them with that. But they just want to grow the game. Talking in with the LPGA and, and, and PGA Tour, seeing how we can be involved with them as well because those, in essence, are their entertainment companies. They're the venue for the, yeah. for the stars 
100%. game to shine. But they're not so much in development of those players, right? They have developmental tours, but even if to play on the Corn Ferry or PGA Tour Canada, PGA Tour Latin America, you've already got to be a world-class player. So the thing is, how do we develop that yes. pool so there's more people going to qualifying school for all of those? So there's more people with the USGA trying to qualify for U.S. Junior Boys, U.S. Junior Girls, U.S. Ams, U.S. Opens, whether it's the women on the men's side, all those different venues. So that's where we're going to come in is we're not in competition with anybody. We are working collectively with everybody to just increase the talent pool and make sure when the players get to these different levels, they're ready. Doesn't do any good to have a bunch of players out there that, that aren't ready. So our thing is to make sure that we get these players ready and when they get there, they're firing some numbers and or they understand the business enough to move in there to make a great career out of this game. Yeah, yeah. And what I love about what you're doing here and with the United Golfers Association being a nonprofit, you are still being very innovative and very entrepreneurial and having that social impact of what you're building here. So a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space in golf, even they're thinking, oh, it's some app or it's something that's to do with tech. And it's not. What you are doing is so entrepreneurial and you're recognizing pain points and seeing where opportunities are. And one of the things that I love that I preach to all fledgling or starting entrepreneurs is just like you're doing, forge those relationships, cultivate trust and look for help and find groups that already have complementary offerings to you, like you talked about with Youth on Course. Rather than you saying with the limited resources and bandwidth you have, we're going to build that ourselves. It's like, hell no, they've already got this great thing built. It's pretty much the infrastructure is there. We need to just plug and play. And that's exactly what you're doing. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah, keep on going with that and keep building those relationships because that's what makes it work and how you'll accelerate your impact so much quicker. It's really good. You had mentioned with PGA professionals, over 30,000 of them and only like less than 200 black PGA professionals. That number is not acceptable. There's so much effort that has to be put in to get that much higher faster. It sounds like you're helping create that pipeline for that. And I've been to the PGA show many times and it really is this ocean of white people. It really is. But one of the nice islands that I was very humble to be invited to a couple of years ago, well, twice, is the diversity task force that Dr. Michael Cooper had put on. So I'm optimistic that the PGA show is making efforts also in the PGA of America to really putting this the front. It's not just a matter of talking about it now. It's a matter of boots on the ground and getting stuff done and doing that and moving forward. So with that, I wanted to ask the next five years, 10 years, what is your aspiration? What would you consider to be even as far as numbers or metrics that were making some proper traction and the trajectory is going the right way that you would like to see as far as black golfers professionally and in the industry in, in five or 10 years from now? Well, I think in the industry, we definitely got to increase that number from like 130 to closer to three, 400. So I'd love to, you know, almost triple that number in the, in the next four to five years. And I think that's very feasible. I'd love to get that number in five years to 500. And at that level, we're still not even making a dent inside the membership there, but we're moving in the right direction. As far as on tour, I don't know what's going to be feasible, to be honest. We don't know what the tour is going to look like, right? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen next week right now, yeah. let alone what's going on. But I would definitely like to see more than four players out there on the PGA Tour. I'd definitely like to see closer number to 10 in a couple of years and really in increase the number of, of top amateur and junior golfers that we see in the WAGGER ranking. I'd love for us to have 10 to 15 players inside the top 100 in the world amateur golf rankings, the official world golf rankings, some players inside the top 15 and top 20 that aren't named Tiger, right? 
just at every level, just being really successful. I'd love for there to be on the AJGA, just multiple winners of color out there every year, like 15 to 20, not one every couple of years. Just really having this game be what really what every other sport has been to people of color in this country and, and, and a place that we can shine and a place that we can make a good living at, a place that we can thrive to get an education and use this as a platform. Golf is one of the few sports that you're not going to be able to get on a basketball court with Steph Curry, right? You're not going to be able to go play football with Larry Fitzgerald. You're not going to be able to toss a baseball with Derek Jeter, right? But you can play golf with all of them. And I have, right? And so that's the thing is there's so many venues that golf will take you in that, to be honest, your education won't even be able to get you in. Just to use this game as a resource for a great life. And to use this game to get inside what I call the ropes is going to be so important for us. So what's going to be success? I think progress. I think numbers. I think seeing people in decision-making roles. Everyone's been good to say, hey, let's start you guys out by giving you some internships. I don't want any internships. I want some executive positions. I want some VP positions. Mm -hmm. I want some real decision-making positions. People that, guess what, happen to look like me and have earned their way in there. We always have to be kind of happy with what they give us. And I think if we start to create a bigger pool, then we can create our own. So I think that's what success is going to look like. Yeah. Are you finding entertainers, celebrities, athletes from other sports? Steph Curry, of course, is kind of the poster boy for this, that are then pulling kids into the game, big NBA fans. And then they see Steph and they see him, what he's doing in, in golf. Uh, are you seeing any traction there to double down on that and perhaps look at other professional athletes that also love golf to focus some energy there? Or are you finding them as ambassadors? Is that helping move the needle at all to get kids at least interested in the game where maybe they never even thought about golf before? It will. We are going to use them. So yes, we're going to. Has it been used and effectively? No, it has not. The celebrities and athletes and entertainers that play the game are influential to kids that are already in the game. I think what, what our duty is to leverage those relationships so that they start to draw on people that do historically play baseball, basketball, football, to show them that there is something else out there that they can do. I think a lot of people know that Michael Jordan plays golf, but Mike's different, right? It's kind of, he's like a tiger. Those people aren't really tangible. Right. They do something different than the rest of them. But when they see that 20% of the NBA and all of the NFL and Major League Baseball and all these people are all, you know, all playing golf and, and they're pretty good at it, some of them, now it becomes a cool thing to do. And, and once that talent pool starts to increase, I think it's going to funnel through every different segment of this industry. And that's a great question because I don't think up to here we've really, as a society, utilized that resource that we have. Yeah, thanks for that response. And I, that's where it needs to go. And you're just one individual and one group amongst many. The infrastructure is being put in place now that are agents for change. And what Michael Cooper calls linking agents, he used that term also. And I think you're one of those linking agents that this through your connectivity is making positive change happen. And it's a pleasure to hear your side of the story and all the good things that uh, you and Ty and others with the UGA are, are doing. Hey, so I know that we're going to jump on a Zoom call now because we want to create our YouTube video for our Mod Golf podcast channel there. So we're going to, for our listeners here, hopefully they'll jump on over and actually be viewers also. We're going to ask some different questions, a little different content there, different conversation to kind of keep it fresh. But before we finish up here, Andy, why don't you share with our, our listeners the best way that they can connect with the UGA and find out about all the great things that you're doing? 
definitely go to our website, unitedgolfersassociation.org, or in short, uga.golf. We are on Instagram at uh, United Golfers Association, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Join our Facebook page. We have a, a couple of different campaigns going on right now, UGA 2K. And so for 2021, we're looking to build our membership up to 2,000 members, and we're pretty close to reaching that milestone. You can reach me at andy at uga.golf if you have any questions about what the UGA is doing, about the academy, about Wakanda for Golf, how can you be involved, how you can support, ranging from $25 to $100, and all of those little tribes that we build are going to help build the bigger picture. Nice, nice. So as I always do in the show notes for your episode, I will include all the links, Andy, that you just mentioned there to make it nice and easy for our listeners to connect with you. Also on your bio page for you that I'll create, put all those in there too. So my last pressing question here, creating the Wakanda for golf, you realize is actually creating a 460cc vibranium driver head. That's not USGA compliant. Do you know that? So stop, stop the design work on that, okay? Because you cannot do that. Vibranium is not allowed to be used on tour, okay? Well, that's where the partnership, it's all about relationships you said earlier, right? So this is where the partnership with the USGA is going to come in handy. That might be one of the favors is like, let's let the vibranium thing slide so we can get a patent on it, push that out to the public. And then if you want to cap it at that and let nobody else use it, I'm okay with that. All right. So now I'm starting to make sense. The Academy is actually being built on Florida's only deposit of vibranium. Now it's all making sense. See, it took me 45 minutes to start to put it together, but now I'm on to you, Andy. I've got it all figured out. I'm coming down there with a shovel. That's what's happening. I love it. (laughs) All right. Hey, Andy, why don't we leave it at that? So Andy Walker, director of the UGA Academy and player development. This has been an amazing conversation. This has been inspiring and enlightening and letting us know what you're doing and where you're going with the Wakanda for golf. Thanks for spending the time with me today and with our listeners on the Mod Golf Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We're at a college event right now. So root on the Lynn Fighting Knights here at the uh, St. Leo Invitational and go Knights. Go Knights. All right, Andy, take care. We'll talk soon. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andy Walker, Director of Player Development at the United Golfers Association Academy. If you'd like to learn more about Andy and the impactful work he and the UGA leadership team are spearheading, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Andy is also on our episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Bodo Sieber as he shares his entrepreneurial journey as the co-founder of Tag Marshall. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check them out online at golfgenius.com to find out how they can help reduce your workload, create more fun, and generate more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.